Hey y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 65. I really enjoyed today's interview, and I think you will as well. This one is all about building a fan base and releasing music. We get into stuff like activating the Spotify algorithm, how to grow using TikTok, uh, running successful ads, and how often you should be releasing music. So if you're an independent artist, definitely don't miss it. And the whole Spotify playlisting aspect of the conversation hit this interesting intersection with a group conversation I was involved in the other day, which has hence inspired this intro. So before we dig into the episode, I wanted to talk about confidence. Now, all of us have varying degrees of confidence in different areas of our life. For example, you might be extremely confident that you're an amazing piano player, but that doesn't mean that you'll be confident that people will like your music. Or you could be an amazing street artist, but scared that nobody will like your filmmaking. How's that for a random example on a music show, right? So why is that? Is it a little bit due to the fact that you've had some external validation in one area of your life and not so much in another? Let's think about your latest release for a second, if you release music. How many streams did the evil Spotify stream counter tell you that you had? And how did that compare to what you expected? And then ultimately, how did you feel? If you expected to have 10,000 streams on the first day and you wake up in the morning to see that it still says less than 1,000, does that leave you doubting your next release? Are you all of a sudden rethinking which song is best and how you should release it? The era of social media has left us all a little bit addicted to the instant gratification of being validated by our peers. We're all guilty of it. I literally just posted an Instagram reel about this intro and about confidence. And then I checked it five minutes later and was disappointed with the number of views and likes. This reel was about how external validation shouldn't matter, but I mean, I had to look anyway. So why do I care how many views it has? Well, that's because we've all slowly been reprogrammed to place value on it. And here's the thing, the more value we place on these validation metrics, the more we begin to gain our confidence from that validation. If something is visibly unsuccessful to us when we do it, then we might feel that we aren't good enough or that it wasn't good enough. Think about this. And uh, this parallel was not planned, by the way. Maybe it just came to me because I randomly mentioned street art. But look at an artist like Banksy. Banksy went out and he did his art in the middle of the night and has never revealed his identity, at least that I know of. Maybe, maybe he has and someone will correct me. Anyway, regardless, if you're doing art in the middle of the night and you're not telling anybody that you did it or that they should go look at it, then you are definitely not looking for validation. You are confident enough that the people who resonate with your art will find it and they'll love it. And so this brings me to the point of all of this. The most important thing you can do for your career is to stop caring what everybody thinks about you. It doesn't matter what your role in the music industry is. Stop seeking external validation for what you're doing. 
Making choices based on those around you is limiting your beliefs about what is possible in your own life. If you were looking for validation from your peers, you wouldn't do anything new. You'd only do what you know they want, and the only way that you know what they want is because it's been done before and you've seen that that's what they want. Did Billie Eilish do what she thought you wanted? No, she did what she wanted and hence did something unique, and then the world loved it for that reason. Innovators don't wait for validation. They choose to validate themselves. They tell you that you want it because they own it and they believe it so much that all of a sudden, so do you. They are confident because they chose to be. We all know people like that, right? You're probably even maybe a little jealous or frustrated by them. And that's because the more you depend on this validation from others, the more judgment you ultimately have for those around you. And then if you become that dependent on what other people think, then you'll probably even start to feel that the only way that you can make an impact is to become somebody that others look to for validation. How's that for a dark, endless loop of validation hell, right? So I'll leave you with this. What if confidence was a choice? What if you had confidence in your art and your work because you chose to? Today's guest is Madeline Elise, an LA-based musician and the founder of the boutique label services company Shark Attack. Since starting Shark Attack in 2016, Madeline has coached over 100 artists along their path to being truly independent as well as collaborated with Wagram Records, Bungalow Records, KMG, Warner, and Universal. They've also landed sync placements with brands such as League of Legends, Netflix, Gibson, ABC, and many, many more. Madeline founded Shark Attack to empower indie artists and to help them navigate the landscape of today's new and ever-changing music industry. That's what we're here to talk about today. So welcome to the show, Madeline Elise. Hey, Madeline, how are you? Hey, I'm well. How are you, Travis? I am good. I'm good. I'm, like I said before, I'm super excited to to chat with you because I feel like it's like a really exciting time for independent artists, despite Spotify is getting a lot of bad, you know, of course. bad flack for not paying people. But it's cool not to be signed right now. In I think my it's great not to be signed right now. You have so much control yeah. and you have so many opportunities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I, I was going to ask you a question later, which you just answered, which I would assume independent artist and record deals Yay or nay? I guess it's a nay for you. It depends on the artist, but I would say 90% of the time I would say nay. Because, yeah. I mean, if you're going into the pop world and like truly like top 40, it makes yeah. sense. Uh, but I would say like that's the rarity versus like the reality. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess it comes down to like whether you need the machine behind you because it, it is like a tool. You know, you have to look yeah. at the label as a tool. Yeah. It's a bad bank deal. <laughs> that's what yeah. it is. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes I think uh, I think some of them are even getting worse these days. Yeah. But I want to talk about Shark Attack a lot and and tips for indie artists. But I always kind of start with how you got started. How did you get into music? How what got you on this path? And how did yeah. you end up starting Shark Attack? So what happened was um, I went to school, Berklee College of Music, to you know become a musician and all of that fun stuff. And I got out of school and I started doing the musician thing where we toured, we did a lot of shows, was getting a lot of notoriety, signed to a really big management firm, was super, super excited. And we got to the finish line where they were like, okay, here's the record opportunity. Do you want to take it? And at the time, my boyfriend and I were like, no, we don't. Because <laughs> all of our friends were getting signed around us. And ultimately, we saw them being unhappy. And we saw that they got their hands tied and they were stuck constantly and we, you know the opportunity came we're like we absolutely don't want to do this and then the downward spiral happened where we got dropped from our management firm 
I hated music, didn't want anything to do with it anymore, could not stand the idea of even touching my bass anymore, which is very sad. And then a couple of years went by and I started being like, okay, I'm ready again. I'm ready to start this process over again. And so one of my really good friends who's a uh, bigger music supervisor was like, hey, well, why don't you write this song for this thing and we'll see what happens. And I was like, okay, cool. So we wrote the song and it got placed. Nice. And I was like, oh, I can make money. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, it is possible to make money. And then basically he's like, hey, if you build your social numbers, I can get you paid even more money for more opportunities. And I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's learn how to do this. And so I started diving into like marketing and how to do that. And so all of a sudden we started growing exponentially on socials and everything. And uh, my friends started then coming to me being like, how are you doing that? Can, can you help us do that? <laughs> and so that's how Shark Attack started back in 2016. I, you know, one by one, like our friends' bands were coming to us. And then all of a sudden, bigger and bigger bands were coming to us. And then all of a sudden, like right before the pandemic, I had major labels coming to us being like, hey, <laughs> you're doing it for all these people. Can you do it for us too? What are you, what are you doing? What are yeah, you doing over there? Exactly. So that's how Shark Attack got started. Uh, now I, I'm blessed to say that I've worked with over 100 artists and it's honestly, it's so much more rewarding than being a musician now. <laughs> but that's, it is, that's it amazing. Is, you know, to be able to help artists like really grow their project, um, it's super, super cheesy. So I apologize. But like, I like to say we don't chase streams, we build fan bases. And I mean that when I say that because so many people are distracted by the number that's right in front of them, but they don't realize that that number means nothing. Like, yeah. do the math. That number needs nothing. So then yeah. what happened a couple of years ago was all these crazy botting things started happening. What uh, independent artists don't realize is that although, yes, major labels bought 100%, it happens. Botting is out there. The reality is as an independent artist, you cannot compete with the majors because of the amount of money that they have and the amount of information that they have so they can manipulate the information. We have to uh, rely on those algorithms doesn't matter what platform you're on you have to rely on those algorithms to push you forward because pushing you forward to the right audience is how you build an audience yes if you're a taylor swift fan and i push you forward to miss sugar i, I think there's gonna be like <laughs> there's gonna be a mis <laughs> misinformation going on there it's gonna be there. a miss yeah yeah totally <laughs> you know you might get the stream but you're not gonna get a fan <laughs> that that is uh it's something that's come up on on a few episodes of the show and I, I bring it up to people there's like such a distinct difference between building fans and getting passive yep. plays yep and there's this crazy thing i don't know why and i've been a part of this i've, I've put projects out and we've used playlisting a few years ago yep. and you you know it's a couple hundred thousand plays a month and you're like hey wow this artist is like popping through let's turn the playlisting off and then Flatlines. You got under a thousand for like, yep. it took like four or five months to cross a thousand. And you're like, whoa, we actually got no fans. No fans came from that five releases of four releases or whatever of playlisting. So I like to share that with people and just tell them, just don't, don't do it. Yeah, don't waste your money. <laughs> it's not worth it. Don't, yeah, exactly. But I, you, you said something that I think was really interesting in another a podcast that you did uh, last year, but the, talk about the whole bot thing. Yeah. But you said that artists generally are not using Spotify correctly. Yes. And can you elaborate on what using yeah. Spotify correctly would be for an artist? Because I think that's fascinating. So basically, Spotify is an algorithm. So the way that Spotify learns about the, the user or the artist is by who you're playing, who you're following, who you're sharing, who you're listening to. 
And God, you should see mine. It's garbage because we work with so many different artists. It's so bad. My Discover Weekly or my release trader <laughs> is all over the place. Uh, so I actually have a separate account just for my own music. But the cool thing about Spotify is you can actually learn about new artists. You can discover new artists because it's getting all this data. And this is why I can talk about botting for forever, but this is what frustrates me so much. I don't even have the opportunity to learn about you if you've screwed up all of your data before I even get a chance to hear you. Yeah. And and people don't realize that. They're just hurting themselves. It kills me. Every time it kills me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because most of our audience may not know what you're talking about when you say botting, but you're talking about paid playlisting services that are basically running... Artificial streams. ...server farms yeah. that are just pressing play. Yep. And then how is that different from playlisting services that curate and pitch that you may not get like you may not get very many plays from maybe it's real maybe it's still not i don't know do you have an opinion on some of these other playlisting services <laughs> I, I, I do have an opinion and i should be very careful about this but screw it whatever uh i hate them i you know <laughs> i i cannot stand them it, it's not that there aren't good ones out there i just have not found a, in a good playlister Ever. Well, that's not true. When when playlisting first came out, it was really legit. And then basically it went havoc like a couple of years ago. And it's just gotten even worse. Now, there's no, I, I could be wrong, correct me. There's no like third-party playlisting in like Apple or Tidal, right? There is, but you don't see as much botting going on on those platforms because of the fact that their numbers aren't forward-facing. Mm. If the numbers were forward-facing, you'd see a lot more. But like Apple has it a lot where they'll steal people's uh, credit card numbers and they'll buy uh, singles with it, and then they get refunded, but they get the credit. Does that make sense? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That was a big thing I learned about a couple of years ago, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> well, that's for that would be for like iTunes sales charts, mm -hmm. well, and then eventually that would translate over to like billboard charts. Yeah. yeah. So a big trick that we use sometimes is when we have an artist that has an album coming out or like a massive single coming out, we'll basically, instead of doing a pre-ad, we do a pre-buy. So we force everyone to buy the EP or the LP or the single because they'll chart. They'll chart all over the place. And if they chart, they get attention. If they chart, we can take that information and go over to other DSPs and other um, basically curators and be like, hey, they're charting here. Why aren't you giving us love? So it's a little oh, trick. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. The, the greatest thing you can do in any part of music is is play everybody against each other. If you go, yeah, like, exactly. you're trying to get a record <laughs> exactly. deal, you're trying to get a playlist, whatever it is, you're like, they like it. Don't you like it? What's wrong? Exactly. Yeah, that's really good. So we kind of skipped over this. It usually doesn't take long for the notes, my notes to go to hell in this podcast. <laughs> but uh, for people that don't understand, what is a label services company? How's it different from a label? Do you take a fee? Do you take a percentage? Like for people that are like, what's label services? What is it? Of course. So label services is like a one size fits all in the sense where we can be your label and we can fill in all the gaps that you need. So if you're looking for strictly marketing, we can help you with that. If you're looking for strictly PR, we can help you with that. If you're looking for overall product development, we can help you with that. I've got a team of seven now, which is fun. Nice. And we all kind of specialize in our own things. And we basically, depending on the artist and what's going on, we're going to charge you a monthly fee and then we're going to um, provide a service for you. Whether that's, like I said, whether that's marketing, uh, PR, I don't really dabble in radio, but I do have radio connections okay. and stuff like that. So basically, we help build you. We're your label without having a label. So you can get rid of us at any time. 
Gotcha. And kind of fill the gap. So if you have yeah, somebody that is getting editorial exactly. playlist love, but they need help in other places, then you yep. can notice that. So what happens when you when you consider working with an artist or you're looking at an artist that you really love, that you want to approach? Like, what are the things that trigger you as a listener and as a business person to get in there? So if I'm ever looking for artists, the thing that I look for the most is, A, do I love the music? If I don't love the music, it's not going to work at all and I won't work with the artist. And it's nothing personal. It's just that my tastes are going to dictate how I run things. You know what I mean? And if you don't, if you're not in love with the artist, what are you doing? <laughs> like yep. we're doing this because yep. we love it. Um, but then the second part of it is if my team is working harder than the artist is, it's a no-go. And that's, that's a big shoe to fill. And I mean it very genuinely because I'm up at 5.30 in the morning and I'm working till 9, 10 o'clock at night most nights because, you know, our days doesn't end. We go to showcases. We go, have to go network. We have to go meet people. So it never yeah. ends. And so if yeah. I didn't love this, I'd be in serious trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. I think that, you know, thinking about like how these playlisting things came to be, that people are always looking for some kind of shortcut. Even when you go to like creating, you're looking for a loop that sounds better than the other loop. You're looking for a mixer that's cheaper and faster than the other. Like there's always, how do we get to the end result faster? And, uh, that's why you pay the program to print your stems, right? Is that what you're doing? See that's, that on right. There? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, I stopped I paying, the, paying the program, but I need to start again. <laughs> I saw that and I sent it to a bunch of my friends. I was like, see, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> totally. You make a lot of changes when you, you, you have an infant. You're like, okay, I need more time. How do I get yeah. more time? But I was going to say, why do you think artists are drawn to trying to cut those corners? Like if you think about, let like, use playlisting, because I love to also kind of rail on playlisting. If you're going to spend like $2,000 on a few months of playlisting, and you're going to get like 10 to 100,000 streams. Sure. You're at a loss. Like, why would you do that monetarily as a business person just to cut a corner and get 100,000? You, have you any idea? Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like slightly a loaded question, so I'm going to answer it carefully. But my okay. personal opinion on it is they don't want to do the work. They want to pretend it's the theory of because I have 100,000 uh, YouTube or Instagram or TikTok followers means I can bring 100,000 people to my show. It's not the case. It's the same with Spotify. I've got a million streams. We're working with an artist right now, crazy numbers. He gets editorial all the time and he's an amazing artist. He deserves that editorial, but they never did the work to develop the fan base. So although he's getting all of these streams, the fan base isn't there. Yeah. So guess what? Now we have to cut back on all of that have the numbers drop extremely low to be able to build it back up, to build it back up in an authentic and right way. And it's not that he didn't deserve that editorials at all. He did. He's a great artist, amazing, amazing artist. Yeah. But because we didn't do the work at the beginning, we have we don't have the result in the end. Yeah. You know, I love to do this. There's influencers uh, all the time that we see. We get hit up a lot by like bigger TikTok influencers now. But like we'll go to their shows, you know, a million plus followers. They can't even bring 40 people out. That's crazy. You've got a million followers and you can bring 40? Yeah. There's something wrong there. Yep. Numbers don't mean everything. I shouldn't say numbers don't mean everything. The right numbers mean everything. The wrong numbers mean nothing. There's a distinct difference between fans of your project yep. and listeners. And even editorials, like, you know, getting New Music Friday as an independent artist is amazing. Yeah. You're probably going to be towards the end. Yep. How many streams are you really getting? And how many of those people are going to become fans? Because New Music Friday is a mess. Like, uh, it makes yep. no sense. I, I can barely listen to it anymore. But, yeah. uh, I mean, even as a listener myself, like, I feel bad. I was, there's 
playlists that are my favorites that I'll listen to every day on my workout or my run. Yeah. Your song has to blow my mind for me to pull my phone out and heart it or click through. Yep. And there's a lot of music on there that I love. And I know that the music on this playlist is going to be great. That's the thing yeah. I love about Spotify is the algorithm is really good. But even me as a, you know, somebody in the music industry, I'm saving like one song a month yeah. and I feel bad. So, yeah, it's it's all about the core audience, that small yeah. group. It's what we always tell, um, and even you, anytime you're doing social media, you got to remember to put the call to action in there. Because the reality is, although I, I went and stalked your stuff earlier today, I don't think I liked a single thing, you know? And it's not that I didn't like it. I thought the content was fun, but like I didn't hit like once because that's just not built into us. Yeah. We're not, nor like, I'm not going to leave a, it's, you know, my, I think I've left two comments in the last like five years on YouTube. Yet everyone's like, where are the comments? It's like, well, did you write a comment? And they're like, no. <laughs> it's like, well. What did you expect? <laughs> it is true. Yeah, when you 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 put call to actions out there that are like trying yeah. to draw engagement in, and then you think about like, well, would I do that thing? Yeah. No. So they're no. probably not going to do that thing either. Exactly. So, if you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. You would probably know, I know like, like a good engagement rate is very low, right? It's like... It's like three single to seven. Single digit Yeah, three to seven. Which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's when you're crushing it at 7%. Yeah, when you're... Oh yeah, if you're at seven, that's insane. That's insane. Since we kind of are talking semi-marketing, obviously putting money into playlisting, we both and many people agree is not worth it. I personally don't know any artists that run ad campaigns or marketing campaigns. Is that part of your plan? And do you have any yes. advice to why artists should consider that as a better use of their cash? Let's take a step back. Before we talk about ad campaigns, let's talk about if you have a budget, what are the most important things you need to set and First of all, it's going to be the content. And I'm not talking about the music. I'm talking about the content around the music. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about once the music is done, the content around the music. Because okay. the reality is a music video isn't what it used to be five years ago. Like I tell artists all the time, don't make a music video, make a hundred pieces of content. Whatever that music video would cost you, make a hundred pieces of content because that hundred pieces of content will drive more traffic back to what you're trying to drive it to than that one music video is going to do. Because once I see that music video, I've seen it, it's over, it's done. If you're lucky, I might've liked it. If you're even luckier, I might've commented it. And the, like the home run is me subscribing, but I can't, I can't even tell you the last person I subscribed to. Yeah. You know? So once that's done, okay. you got to test what's working and what's not working. What content's working? Great. If it's working, then we'll talk about spending some ad dollars behind that. Because once it works, basically you can use that, tar if you, especially if it's a really good, if the algorithm's picking up on it naturally, the ad is just going to support it. And so the idea of an ad is to capture that audience and then retarget them. But the reality is most artists spend so much money on like tone den and they don't even realize that they're not running the campaigns correctly. 
So even though all that data is there, they're not capturing the right data. So then you can't retarget the data. Right. And it's like, come on. So not only are you throwing money away from the beginning, but you're throwing money away down the line. So until the testing is done, you should not spend a dollar on ads. The testing has to be done first. And for an independent artist that doesn't have a team and doesn't have a budget, and they made 100 pieces of content in their garage to go with the record they made in their bedroom, what does testing look like for that person? Testing is taking that 100 pieces of content and throwing it on multiple different platforms and seeing where the algorithm takes. Okay. Once you see the algorithm take, then you do that again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it until it stops taking. If it continues to take, guess what? You're going to grow exponentially. But the reality is it's probably going to take one, two, three, four, five. Until you get to your 100th video, everything else is going to be garbage. But once you get to that 100th video, things are going to start to work. Yeah. And then they're going it's, to... It's, I mean, it's like mixing. You mix. Yeah. The first time you mix, it was garbage. Like, let's be honest. Definitely. <laughs> you, definitely you know? was. And every time you get to the board and you're mixing, it's going to get a little bit better and you're going to learn a little bit more. And now you probably can do it without even listening to the song because you know the frequencies that it needs to be aligned in. And it could be a pretty good mix without even hitting play, you know? But then you go and you use your ears and you're like, okay, this is going to, like, this is slightly different. And that works. It's the same with advertising. Yeah. You've got to do the work before we can actually get to the actual ads because the ads just support. The content is what carries. So in your opinion, a stronger ad is based around content that's already working as opposed to sitting around a table and talking about like, how can we create an ad for our new single? Yes. You should be focusing on, hey, when I do this and I do this live thing and I act this way and I'm honest or whatever, these yep. things connect with people. Let's do that and then push it out with money. Yep. It's ah, great. I love it. It'll save you money in the long run because if not, you're going to, you know, just throw it away. Ultimately. <laughs> and it's hard, it's hard <laughs> enough to make as it is in, in yeah. the music industry. It's, it's a challenge. Okay, so I want to go through just a few like kind of tips and ideas for independent artists. Sure. One question is, there's a lot of artists that listen to the show that are releasing music, varying degrees of success, low streams, high streams, you know. We all know that not every song can have yeah. 10 million streams, right? In 2022, what do you think organic growth looks like for artists and like what kind of numbers and metrics should they actually be proud of and looking for as opposed to these million streams, 10 million streams? Like what, what's more important? So you just want to see consistency. Uh, the best example of like a metric, like if you're looking specifically on Spotify, I want to see between a five and a 10% save rate. Mm. If you're under a thousand streams or if you're above a thousand streams, I want to see you between five and 10%. If you see that consistently, there's something there. So then you take that and you build that content around that. So not every song is going to take, that's just the reality. Even if you had a million dollars to put behind one song, if it doesn't take, it doesn't take. Like no one, no one has control over if it takes or not. And I hate, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people are like, I just don't understand. It's like, sorry, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you don't know what to tell you. Uh, because sometimes it's not even just that it's not a good song, it's that the timing is wrong. True. Um, like coming out of the pandemic, even though we're still kind of in it, uh, slow songs, really like depressing slow songs, I, we couldn't move them. Like nothing we could do could move them. And it's not that they weren't good songs because they were great songs, but no one wanted to hear that because it was impressed. Cause for me, you know, for <laughs> it's too real, too real. Me, it's too real, exactly. Yeah. But you know yeah. what? I guarantee you in a year or two, those songs will start popping off. Yeah. And that's why building correctly is so important because even if it doesn't pop now, it doesn't mean it's not going to pop a year later or two years later or three years later. That's, that's true. I, I always think about 
I have so much experience in the songwriting realm. You think about like songs that are huge hits. Yeah. This year, somebody wrote like maybe seven years ago. It's been on a hard drive, and yeah. finally it connected with somebody. It, it takes yeah. time. It takes but time. Except in that case, the song is not out in the world. You mentioned uh, in that answer uh, Spotify statistics and, and save rate. Would you mind running through Spotify for artists and like the kind of important key metrics that people should be yeah, of course. keeping an eye on there? So when I go into Spotify and Art for Artists, the first thing I do is I go to the audience tab and I switch it to 2015. And I look at basically your streams, your listeners, and your followers since 2015. And what I'm looking for is a basically like a staircase. I want to see a staircase up, like a, a literally a direct staircase up. But what happens a lot of the times, especially when you see playlisting uh, companies or people that have been botting, is you'll get these big spikes. And they'll stay up and then they'll flatline. And it's more like um, Lego pieces that you're trying to fit together <laughs> than yes. like, a, like a staircase going up. So what happens is if I see a spike, then I go and try to figure out what the spike is from. Now, spikes can be from editorials, spikes can be from massive syncs, spikes can be from hitting the algorithmic playlist. But nine times out of ten, they're because of botting. And so <laughs> then basically we'll, we look and determine if the botting is bad enough where we're like, hey, we're not going to touch this project because I don't think we can save it. Or if it's like, okay, there's a little bit of botting, we probably can correct this data and start heading towards the right direction. But I'm telling you, I've seen, I've seen accounts that have millions upon millions of fake streams. Wow. That, you know, and at that point, we just go, sorry, we can't help you, you know, because for every one bad stream, you have to have two good streams to correct that data. Mm. So if you have a million, and people don't realize a million streams is very hard to do. It's not normal to get that high, uh, especially for an independent getting over like 10,000 is very hard. Yeah. You know, until you get editorial, it's very hard to get over 10,000. But we want to get you as close as you can. But you know what we can get you, pull you over that finish line is activating the algorithm. So if you activate the algorithm, all of a sudden you could be hitting two, three, four hundred thousand streams because you hit the algorithm and you did this the right way instead of like going for the playlisting thing where you get this large jump and then a flat line and then a large jump and then a flat line. Yeah, yeah. Any tips for activating the algorithm? Don't bot. Tell your friends and your fans to share and like the song and to follow you. Is follow a big metric now? So follow and search are a big metric. Okay. So if I search for your band in my thing and people are searching for your band, it's definitely going to help the algorithm versus if I just play you on a playlist. Like that stream, gotcha. the, the search stream is worth a lot more than the playlist stream. Yes, I, I did hear that. That's been something that yeah. like labels have looked at for a while. I always try to do that for people when I'm like, if I'm working with a band or, you know, this song comes out, I, I always type in the artist's name. Go to the homepage, click yeah. the song, even yeah. though I have it saved in some playlist. But yeah. So two questions that are semi-related. Sure. Let's say I'm a new artist. I'm releasing my first project. Mm -hmm. What is the top thing you think I can do to set myself up for success? Like what's going to give me the most like ROI on my effort? TikTok. TikTok. Getting on TikTok and spending your time there to develop. TikTok is the one platform and people will argue with me with this, which is fine. But I'm right. <laughs> uh, TikTok is one of the one platforms. If you go, hey, do me a favor, go to my Spotify, save, share, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. People will do it. Like I see it. I see it constantly. So that's why that call to action is so important. If you don't have a penny as an independent artist to put into advertising, great. Spend your time on TikTok and build that because they will transfer over if you tell them to. If you don't tell them to move over... They won't, but if you tell them to move over, they absolutely will. 
that's interesting. Is that do you think that's an like an audience demographic? Like what why is that I platform so engaged? Well, the platform's engaged because the way that TikTok works versus like Instagram is Instagram pushes you out to the followers that you ha- already have. TikTok pushes right. you out to the for you page. Right. So it's discovery. So there's so much discovery happening on that platform, which is why it's so effective. We're working with a baby band that I love, Tony and the Kiki. When I first started with them, they had zero followers. They were kicking and screaming all the way. Like, I won't do TikTok. I won't do TikTok. They finally get on TikTok. We're six months in. They've got 40,000 followers. They're not only blowing up on TikTok, they're blowing up everywhere else. They've become a TikTok ambassador artist. So they get invited to all these special things. They get all this special playlisting because of the fact that they're TikTok artists. Amazing. You know, and they didn't spend a dollar on that. That's amazing. That was all because they spent the time to do it. I have another artist, Harry J, who uh, he was one of my first baby artists, spent a year and a half building his TikTok. He's at almost 200,000 followers on TikTok. Massive. It not only grew his artist career, but helped him build a business. He teaches me, uh, he's a vocal coach now and coaches like bigger artists. And he built this <laughs> whole thing by himself. And like, that's the point. You have to start and you have to do it the right way instead of chasing the streams or the numbers. That's cool. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I've been on TikTok. Progressions yeah. has a TikTok. It's got a couple of videos on it. It's um, cool. I'm not a fan, but I will say that their algorithm is pretty impressive. Like you, you like a couple yeah. dog videos and a couple other things and I, you, it's like perfect. Yeah. It's creepy. It is yeah, creepy. It's, it's definitely creepy. But hey, as an independent artist, you have to figure out a way to get in front of people. So why yeah. busk in the middle of nowhere when you can busk in the middle of Times Square? You know? I, I guess depending on your age, people might argue against TikTok. Like, oh, I don't want to do like a stupid dance video or a challenge video. Like, there, there's other ways to get traction on TikTok, right? You can put out 100%. a live performance. You don't have to be involved in yeah. what might be the reason you're not getting on TikTok. You don't have to do that. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I would never suggest an artist do a dance unless they, unless they were a pop or a dancer. Artist. Yeah, and it, yeah. if it made sense. I think what what most artists can do, um, even you, you're a mixer. Yeah. Teach about mixing. Yeah. Teach about mixing on there. I guarantee you will blow up because it's not a common thing to be spoken about on TikTok, but education always draws people in. So if I'm educating people, then they're more likely going to stick around and stay and help grow. Interesting. I love it. Yeah. That is not the answer I expected at all. I didn't think we would be talking about TikTok. That's great. I love it. Um, So kind of a similar question to that. Let's say I'm an artist that is really getting some organic growth. Maybe I just got my first Spotify tutorial. Cool. I'm getting like a couple hundred thousand. Like what's the biggest mistake I can make next? Not putting out something soon enough. I tell artists this all the time. Unless you have like six or seven songs ready to go before you start working with me, stop, get that ready, and then let's go. Because the worst thing that can happen is something takes and then I have nothing to do with it. Like in the sense where like it's taking, I want to hit it when it's coming down, not when it's flatlined. Because if I hit it while it's flatlined, it takes me that much energy to get it back up. But if I hit it when it's halfway down, then I can go even higher and higher. And there's your staircase model, you know? Everybody should pause, go back and listen listen to that because <laughs> that is, uh, that's the point. I feel like there's so many artists... My opinion is the album is dead. I don't know if you would have that opinion. Well, I think the, depends the on the The album as we know. Yeah. yeah. And if you're going to do an album, you better release like seven or eight singles, Billie yeah. Eilish style, to yeah. lead up to that record. And then you're like, hey, here's 10 songs. You got two new ones and eight songs that you guys already love. Yeah. I just think that people really need to consistently release music because that's the only way to take advantage of the momentum. Yep. Like if you pop off on your last single yep. and you're like, okay, let's go write for a year and a half, yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. You're screwed. 
I tell yeah. artists all the time, your first like three to five years is consistently releasing. So when your first set of 10 songs are done, we might be starting on your release of the first one, but you better be writing. By the time you get through that fifth or sixth song, that next batch better be ready. If it's yeah. not, you're, you're in some hot water, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I worked with an artist once uh, that he does well, but the artist was kind of a, a moniker, I guess. It was a persona. Mm-hmm. And it was a project that was already done. Like, he, he had already decided, like, this is X number of al albums for this persona, and yeah. I'm working on the next one. And you're like, wow, that guy's like, he's like five or six years out in the future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like on the next thing. So it's, I, you got to think like that, I think. Do you think if you have a lot of things loaded up in your Spotify queue, does that help? Playlisting, or is it really just kind of... So it's a catch-22. What I like to do is when we have, like, say, six or seven pieces of music that are ready to go, I like to bundle them because then I can basically reach out to the DSPs and be like, hey, this is a single, but this is where it's going. Here's where it's coming. You know what I mean? Like, especially with rock artists, I, we like to do that. Uh, yeah. Not so much with pop, but with rock, being able to, like, hint towards the album is definitely a positive. One last playlisting question. Yeah, I'm just going to call this podcast playlisting episode. Uh, <laughs> Spotify versus Apple and Tidal. Yes. Like, how do they differ... You know, everybody talks about Spotify because the numbers are there. It's the biggest consumer. But Apple and Tidal are still, they still exist. Is there anything people can do to help their situations there? Apple, I say, is where the music lovers go. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because Apple, I can actually pick up the phone and talk to the editors <laughs> and, like, have relationships with them. Where Spotify, it's mainly algorithmic. Yeah. Tidal, Tidal's a little harder to crack, but it's, it's more like Spotify or Apple where you can actually get someone on the phone and have a conversation with them. Um, it's just about building the relationships. And as an independent artist, I mean, your best friend is, you know, IG and like finding out who does what and then getting on LinkedIn and finding out what their emails are. <laughs> so, you know, we all did it. We all, we've all done it. You know, that's yeah. how you build your network and you start yeah. figuring out where they hang out and like not stalking them, but like trying to have conversations with them. You know, that's, we all did it. That's, that's what you did. That's why you need to go out. That's why independent, one of the biggest mistakes independent artists makes is they don't go out. They don't support the local community. How are you going to learn who's in the community if you're not supporting them? If you're not that going to true. those shows, if you're not trying to network while you're at those shows, you have, that's how you work your way up the ladder. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Even like tour, people ask me about touring all the time. And it's like, you know, the best way to get on a tour is become friends with the band that's touring. Yeah. That's it. Because True. guess what? If you guys are friends, they're going to support you as long as you're supporting them. Yeah. You yeah, know? I agree with that completely. And I don't think it matters how big or small of a city you're in. I feel like maybe in a smaller city, it's almost more important to be like a key member in that yep. community because there's not as many yep. people. So, And then what you do is if you're in a smaller city, you, you use your smaller city in a city that's like 60 miles away and you trade gigs and you start developing that fan base and then you do it again somewhere else and that's how you build that network you know yeah yeah there's a there's a reason that bands have always like rolled through town and grabbed mm -hmm. local openers yep they're like okay you're yep. from around here you know a lot of people you're opening up exactly bring them over exactly bring them over yeah so last question for uh, new artists yeah what's a well thought out release plan in 2022 you obviously said like six or seven songs is there like a spacing that's best is there like a format that's best yeah so what i would say is you want to go into four to six week cycles when you're first starting out i'd probably go towards closer to a four week cycle if you're a little bit more developed i'd go six to eight weeks but typically you're going to be closer to that four weeks the reason being is you're going to peak at, at about week two 
And by the time you're week four, you're not all the way down, but you're a little bit above where you started. And then just keep building that staircase ultimately. The best piece of advice besides that is, like I said, tons and tons and tons of content and test and test and test. And if it works, stick on it. People are so overwhelmed by social media, but the reality is spend 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes of the evening engaging. Spend one day a week creating the content. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. Or one day a month if you can spend the whole day. But you shouldn't be spending, it shouldn't take you more than that. And if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if, if, I have, uh, if I have 80-year-old grandmothers that can do social media, you can do social media. I'm so sick of that excuse that I can't do it. Yes, you can. You're just too lazy to do it. Stop being lazy. You want to be a musician. You want to be in front. Fight for it. That's what people don't yeah. realize. It's so much work. To be an independent artist, to be an artist in general is so much work, but to be an independent artist where you own everything is a ton more work, but guess what? You're going to make more money at the end of the day. Yep. Yep. And it's going to feel a lot better. Yep. Can we go, we mentioned at the beginning, can we go all the way back to sync just for a second? Sure. Do you have any tips for people looking for syncs? Uh, sync's interesting. How do I say this? I've been very blessed in the sense that I've kind of came up with a bunch of music supervisors that are now popping off. Like I went to college mm. with a bunch of them. So I kind of lucked out and kind of found an inward path that way. But the best way to get into sync is to A, know what people are looking for, watch shows, listen to shows and write music like those shows, and then figure out who the supervisor is on them and then figure out how to pitch to those people correctly. If you pitch to the, it's especially as an independent artist, knowing that you're what's called a one-stop where it means you own 100% of your master, songwriting and publishing. If you're a one-stop getting into sync, it's easy to get into sync because there are so many opportunities. There's opportunities everywhere. Yeah. You know, but what happens with most independent artists is they don't even know how a song is broken down. Who owns what? Did I register it? They're not even collecting 90% of their royalties. But that's that's True. the issue. But if you if you take the time to learn that from the very beginning, a song has three parts. <laughs> uh, you know, you've got your, your songwriting, your publishing, and your master. Once those are registered, then you can basically say, okay, I'm going to pitch this to said supervisor because I have this and I think it works for this. Yeah. And knowing how to pitch it correctly, you want to use a platform called Disco. You don't want to send them a Spotify link. In Disco, you want to make sure everything is tagged correctly. So, Because what happens a lot of times, the music supervisor doesn't listen to a song, they just drop the song into their Disco library. And guess what? If it's not tagged, they're not going to hear it. <laughs> That's how it works. Oh. This, I, I learned something there. I, I haven't heard of disco. Oh, no, dude, disco's the best. Disco, yeah. It, yeah. Everyone used to use Box and Dropbox back in the day. Right, yeah, The yeah, problem yeah. with that is the metadata would be uh, sometimes disappear. Ah. So now disco allows you to put all the metadata into the, it basically, it's basically a cloud service. Right. But it's all there. So your, uh, all your lyrics are there. Your tags are there. Your BPM's there. How the song's broken down is there. Key words are there. Male vocal, female vocal, country, pop. Whatever it is, it's all tagged there, so they have it. That's big. That's that's yeah. what makes that stuff easy. Because because you have to think about if you're a music supervisor, how much music you're getting, and it's and it's like oh tons. And the worst thing you possibly do is send a hip hop track to somebody that is only putting in like singer songwriter piano yeah. ballads. Don't be like, hey, check out my hip hop track. That they'll yeah. they'll never respond to your email ever again. Yeah. So hundred percent. And the cool thing about disco too is that. Like 99% of the time, you don't get a response, but I see that they've downloaded it, mm. it and that it's in their library, so I don't have to follow up. Therefore, I'm not wasting more of their time and pissing them off. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. 
That's cool. That, yeah. that's, that's like uh, the the read receipts on, on emails yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. I love to know if somebody read my email. Uh, uh, so now the secret's out. If you don't or you do read my emails, I know. I know. <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about syncs earlier, you talked about like having, you know, higher socials and good Spotify numbers helped you get syncs. Why is it that Music Soup's care, or maybe it's the directors that care, that an artist has like, is like popping off in some, is it like a, like, we want to find the next cool thing. Like, why does it matter to have good numbers? It's a combination. Definitely, I feel like music supervisors definitely want to be A&R, like a lot of them. And, and that's not a bad thing. I think it's really cool. They want to help bring bring a new audience to their show or to this artist. You know, I think it's really cool. The brand that does it the best, though, is uh, Target. Target is notorious for doing this, where they put key influencers in all of their commercials. And the reason they do it is because it's cross-marketing. And you can do it. Not everyone does it, but it's the same with the show. Like, if you have a bigger fan base, guess what? It's cross-marketing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just smart. Yeah, no, it's, it, it makes yeah. sense. It makes sense. Okay, so we I don't know if you've listened to the show, but we've got a couple closing questions that I always end with. And then, you know, maybe there's a little bit of ranting after that. Who knows? But uh, the first question that I ask everybody that comes on the show is, was there ever a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you? Oh, 100%. When I um, started Shark Attack again, not again, when I actually started Shark Attack, finding success in my artist was one of the most liberating and most beautiful things I could have ever experienced in my life. Because when you're actually able to take an artist from point A to point B and to see them continue to grow, even after like you've passed with them, you know what I mean? It's, it's incredible because you know you were part of that foundation. You know that, I mean... There are a couple artists right now. I'm just waiting for them to pop off. Like everything is set. Everything is ready. I just, I can't wait. I cannot wait till they get to that next level. And it's going to be so rewarding knowing that I was there from ground zero. And now they're at, you know, the next Billie Eilish type of style. And like, I want, I want that for them and they want it and they work hard for it. Yeah. And that you just can't, there's nothing better than that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then uh, what right now is your current biggest goal? And what is the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it? Oh, that's a good one. It is my <laughs> biggest goal. My biggest goal right now is to make sure that I really want to start a, a more educational part of my company mm. um, where I'm helping independence even more. I haven't figured out how to do it yet. I probably should do it with TikTok and social media. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody told me you should use TikTok for your educational <laughs> yeah, content. But I haven't had the time to balance it just yet. But yeah, I really want to start an educational part because I feel like if we're not helping each other out, if we're if we're keeping that closed door policy, what what are we doing? Like it's, it's no fun. It's no fun. Like music is supposed to be shared. We're supposed to love it. We're supposed to support each other. And if we're not even doing that, what are we doing? Like we should get out of this industry. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And at a time when there's so much access to music, you can yeah. listen to so much music in so many ways. It's, From all around you know, the world. Like, exactly. I, like every once in a while, I like to get on like New Music Friday in like South Africa to see what's going on. And it's so yeah. different. It's so yeah. different than what we get out here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, totally. it's, that's what it's supposed to be. You know, we yeah. couldn't do this 30 years ago, but we can do it now. I can go find out what someone's playing in Kenya. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You know? And you could get influenced by it and be yeah. on the next hot thing before yeah. everybody else. Absolutely. It's it's amazing. Getting, yeah, the influence from all over the world is amazing. And that's what I found during the pandemic is, 
like meeting people from other countries, chatting about their music journey, yeah. meeting people on things like Twitch and yeah. just like chatting with people has changed the way that I approach like my every day, yeah. you know, and, and I'm not creating music every day. I'm just mixing and engineering. And, but so just imagine if you were a creative, like all that inspiration out there that you can get your hands on. It's, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. Yeah, and it's, it's great. fun. It's fun. Yeah. It's so fun. <laughs> Before we go, do you have anything to say to an artist that is like, they're going for organic growth and it just feels so slow and it's like such a slug. Like, do you have like a, you have an encouraging word for them? <laughs> yeah, don't give up. I mean, I know it's cheesy and I know it's straight to the point, but the reality is you're one of billions that are trying to do this, literally. So yeah. tell your story, have your voice. And I promise you, if you're consistent, you will grow. Love it. You will. It always happens. And I mean, there is an audience for everything. It might not be my taste. It might not be your taste, but there is an audience for everything. There is. And there's nothing wrong with sticking to your guns and doing what you love. Do it because the reality is if you're doing it, someone else likes it as well. Love it. Love it. Before we go, please tell people wherever they can find you on the internet. If you got any artists that you really love that they should go listen to, like whatever you want to share, please, please share. So you can find us at thisisharkattack.com. Our socials are all This Is Shark Attack, I believe. <laughs> and uh, uh, artists that I love right now, uh, Cami Petten is, uh, is my girl. I've been with her for years. I love her. I cannot wait for her to pop off. She's going to be amazing. She, I mean, she's already popping off, but like, it's give it a couple more years and she's going to be next level. There's uh, Laces, who's also an amazing uh, sync writer. She's got so many different monocles. She's got her album release coming up May 5th at Hotel Cafe. So if you're around, you should definitely check that out. Cool. And then my my boys, Tony and the Kiki and Harry J. And then I just, I love my artist. I've got so many, I'm, I'm very blessed that I have so many great, amazing artists that I get to work with every day. And, uh, I, you know, they're my kids. <laughs> So that's amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, for coming back. Like, you know, like I said, uh, this was my first interview since having a child. Yeah. I've been off for like two months. So I think it made sense. The audience will leave a comment and let us know if it made sense. I've never done that before, but I'm just doing that. There I'm, I'm going to cut that I out. I love it. Did it, did that's it make sense? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. And of this course. is a great hang. Lovely meeting you. You too. That's a wrap for episode 67. Thanks to Madeline Elise for coming on the show. Definitely follow her and check out the artists that she's been working with. If you've been enjoying the show, definitely subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes as they come out. And if you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts yet, please consider doing so. It is one of the absolute best ways that you can support the show, and it only takes a second to do. Also, don't forget to join us over at completeproducer.net. Lots of great conversations going on over there. And finally, there will be content finally going up on the YouTube channel. So subscribe over there so you know when that all starts. And thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.